we kind of went all over the region. Uh, we tried living in Iran because we were always in search of a better place to live. We moved back to Afghanistan very briefly. Um, but again, you know, the trouble with Taliban was just so huge. We just went back to Pakistan. Hey, everybody. As always, I am Ted King. I'm your host here on King of the Ride podcast. Welcome back to the show. I want to start off today with an email that landed in my inbox July 11th, 2016. So literally one day and two years ago. It starts off. Hi, Ted King. I am very fortunate to learn about you in your inspirational cycling career. On an equal weight, I really admire your philosophy about bikes and how they can bring change in the world. I dream to start mountain biking in Afghanistan. There is a woman's national cycling team on the road that exists under all odds, including unpaved roads and security threats. I discovered my passion for cycling the summer before I began at Middlebury. I've hit trails since last fall when I first got my hands on a decent mountain bike. I'm in Boulder, Colorado for the summer hitting bigger trails. I aspire to make mountain biking known in Afghanistan and through it introduce my beautiful country, which has earned a bad reputation through Western media. The mountains back home are more grand than everything I've ever seen since. Above all, I just love riding and I have great ideas about how biking can be used as a vehicle for stability, sustainability, culture, and harmonious living. If this speaks to you, please get back to me. Yours truly, Fareed Nuri, Middlebury, class of 2018. Are you freaking kidding me? That is incredible. I mean, honestly, how could I not reply to that? I, I receive a lot of emails, a lot of notes, tweets, comments, texts, whatever it is. Um, this exists on another playing field entirely. Uh, anyway, I will leave that as an introduction to the podcast today. I want to get on uh, into the regular introduction of what's going on in the rest of the world, but that is just a taste of what today's podcast is all about. Okay. Stage six, Tour de France, 2018. I don't know why, but here on stage six, it already feels like we're halfway through the tour. There's been so much action. There's so much excitement. There's been so much drama that, shoot, it feels like we're halfway through the month of July. We still have a ton of racing ahead of us. Um, jumping to today, stage six, Dan Martin, 2015 teammate of mine on the Cannondale Garmin program. He did what Dan Martin does incredibly well which is attack like a fiend from a kilometer out. Today he went from uh, 1,200 meters. Honestly, watching the finale today felt like watching a, a, the finale of an Ardennes classic. It was lumpy. You got all these super punchy one to two kilometer climbs. All the heads of state were there. Whether you're a sprinter, whether you're a GC contender, that was a beautiful finale to watch. I'm, I'm really excited for what's to come. Um... I do want to point out that if you look at some of the headlines going around media, they're a bit hyperbolic. Obviously, there was, there was some drama in today's finale in that Tom DeMoulin and uh, Roman Bardet, apparently they got into a little bit of a tangle in the finale that cost them quite a bit of time, relatively speaking. So what they basically did, those dudes went from, what, six kilometers? Uh, I think Tom had a little bit of an issue further out, Bardet a little bit closer, but if you look at the ground they covered and the time they covered it, 
they're going 30 seconds faster than the rest of the peloton. So to lose 53 seconds, to lose, I think, uh, mid-30s for Bardet, when they're going up the Alps, when they're going up the, the steep Pyrenees, that's when it's going to be an issue. Yes, they lost time. Yes, it's dramatic. However, there is so much more racing to go. I'm not terribly concerned. Those guys have... Tom, he showed a little bit of weakness earlier in the week, but shoot, to come back and, and to have minimized his losses as well as he did, I'm excited for what's going on. Also, look at today. In the front group, you got Sagan, Van Avermaet, Philippe. Those are three... I'm going to call them sprinters for the sake of argument, only because they're not the GC contenders. Those three were amongst the, the finishing top 20 or so. Those guys are all exceptional climbers, but in reality, they have a huge turn of speed. They're much more sprinters than they are cl uh, climbers. Meanwhile, there's also headlines being made about the time losses for some other GC hopes, like Froome. He lost eight seconds. Ta uh, uh, TJ lost six seconds. Iran lost 11. Bernal, Villermoz... Uh, Stevie Kreswick, those guys lost 12. Give me a break. This was a, a super punchy finish. If those guys want to make up time, if they're going to gain or lose time, it's going to happen in the Alps, and it's going to happen by minutes, not a matter of seconds. That all means nothing. Let's just wait till stage nine. That's going to be a mega game changer in the GC contention. I think it's going to be awesome. I'm excited. Um... Let's jump quickly to the here and now. I am currently in central Massachusetts, heading down to Connecticut tomorrow with CCAP. That is the Connecticut Cycling Advancement Program. They have a junior summer camp going, I believe, all summer long, or certainly most of July. I'm helping out tomorrow. And then I head back here to central Mass to go on my second go-around of the Jam Grand Fundo. Jeremy Powers... Um, and his buddies, Alan McCunda, they started the jam fund. Oh man, probably nearly a decade ago. Maybe it is a decade ago. And last year I was lucky enough to have the time to come to their grand fundo. That was a blast. I'm really excited to be back. Thank you gentlemen for having me back and ladies, this area, what, what this community has developed here in Northampton, Massachusetts has been really exceptional to see. It's something of a magnet for cyclocross racers, for development. They've, that's largely what the Jam Fund does. They develop cycling talent primarily on the cyclocross side. At a young age, by committing these kids to come to Central Mass, to come to Northampton, which is a super cool town, and really devote themselves to the sport. And on top of that, to give back to the sport. And that quite frankly, is what cycling should be. Hats off to them. Um, let's now get back to the purpose of this podcast. Fareed, Nuri, I think we have a really fun chat. This all took place right before the Wednesday evening Catamount World Championships up there in uh, Williston, Vermont. Um, let's see. I've seen him since first meeting him riding some of the jankiest equipment around. I tried to get a strong so show of support behind him. It's it's been a slow but sure progression. Um, you you will you will definitely hear a lot of humility out of Fareed. The kid is what I hope you get out of the conversation. Basically, is that Fareed is eternally optimistic, and and that's palpable, and it's magnetizing, it's gravitating. He is forever upbeat. He's eternally curious. He is a sponge for knowledge, and and he really wants to do everything in his power to excel. I'm excited for this conversation. I hope you're excited to hear it. I'm very proud to call Fareed a friend, now just two years and one day later after getting that first email. Please enjoy the conversation with Fareed Nouri. 
welcome to the King of the Ride podcast. Thank you. Pleasure yeah. to be here. Excellent. I'm I'm very pleased that we were able to do this. We are sitting in to set the scene. We are sitting in a field in what town are we in? Wilson. We're in Wilson, Vermont, just a little bit east of Burlington. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful sunny day. The humidity of last week has dwindled. Dwindled significantly. We have a view of camels hung camel's hump, excuse me. And we're getting ready for catamount. You tell me since you've done it, what are we getting ready for? Um, so we're getting ready for catamount Wednesday night race. And this is our warm huh. <laughs> it's a weekly race. Uh-huh. Um, that's, they advertise it as non-intimidating. It's very friendly and, uh, it's not official, Okay. Uh, but they do, you know, announce results and everything. And it's um, pretty popular in the area right now. I should say so. I mean, this brings the likes of Leah Davison. Yep. Sabra Davison. Jamie Driscoll has been known to do this in past years. I read on the website that this is the longest running weekly mountain bike training series in the country. Wow. Can you believe I that? Not know that, but kudos. That's amazing. Uh, just to think someday you might start what's going to be the longest running weekly mountain bike training series in Afghanistan. Absolutely. And that's one reason I love this place because it's very successful. And uh, I've actually talked to the race um, organizer uh-huh. um, just to draw from his experiences. So is the race are, organizer the head of Catamount? Um, he's yeah, well, he's uh, running the he's the management. He runs all the super fun events all throughout the year. Exactly. Okay. Um, so let's see where to begin. I remember once upon a time you reached out to me and you sent a very friendly email that said, Hey Ted, um, you know, it's cool what you've done with your career and I am a student at Middlebury college. I have found cycling. I want to pursue bike racing and I want to pursue cycling advocacy in Afghanistan where I'm from. What do you think? Do you remember that? I cannot, I can never forget that. I Uh mean, (laughs) okay. Um, that was my second year at university and I was living in Boulder, Colorado uh-huh. and, uh, I was living with a Middlebury alum and, uh, you know, I told them about exactly what he just said. Uh, want to become a bike racer for Afghanistan, want to advocate for the growth of cycling in Afghanistan. And they told me, well, you should talk to Ted King and just confession here. Uh-huh. Uh, I did not know any of the stars of cycling then. So uh, <laughs> I was a, I, I was a dwindling star at that point, but uh, thank you. I'm flattered. Well, it didn't look like that when I Googled and, uh, I was like, Whoa, this guy will never respond to me. Huh. Um, and, uh, I'm a man of the people Fareed. <laughs> and so I've learned, you know, so um, you, sorry, you were a second year student at Middlebury, right? Was it the summer? Is that why you were in Boulder? Exactly. So okay. I was in Boulder, um, training, you know, living cheaply. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these alumni were great. They've, you know, that they, they were hosting me. And, uh, so one evening I sat down and wrote this very long email to you. Um, and I was like, we'll see what happens. Uh, I'll probably never hear back from this guy. And huh. the next morning, um, I opened my email, you know, I'm still opening my eyes over a cup of coffee and there's a reply from Ted King. And I was just so excited. Um, opened the email and I think the next day we were talking on FaceTime, you were driving up to Tahoe for a race. Um, and it just happened so quickly. Oh man. 
Well, <laughs> so yeah, good. that is a man of the people, guys. <laughs> that is entirely too kind. And me bringing that up was not the purpose was not to stoke my own ego. I appreciate that. I appreciate that you've reached out, and I've really enjoyed getting to know you over the past. What year was that? 2016. Three. So two years now. Okay, it feels even way longer than that. Although in reality, we only met for the first time exactly last a year summer. Ago. Yeah. Goodness gracious. So. Okay, let's go. Let's just keep jumping all over the map. You are born and raised in Afghanistan. Correct. What part of Afghanistan, for those of us who have no idea the geography in the first place? I So we like to say Afghanistan is the heart of Asia. Uh-huh. And then I was born in the heart of Afghanistan. The heart of the heart of <laughs> the Asia. The heart of the heart of Asia. I love it. And then, <laughs> like, I mean, I know as an American, I like to butcher words. How do you pronounce the country that you're from? Yeah, so it's Afghanistan. And how do you pronounce your name? Farid. Farid. Yeah. How do you pronounce your last name? Nuri. Nuri. But for all the Americans out there, you know, I understand if rolling on the R is a little tough. Yeah, you we can don't just do that very Farid. well. <laughs> okay. I like and Afghanistan. So Farid Nuri, Farid Nuri, born in Afghanistan, walk us through the first many years of your life. Like, you know, bring us, obviously your English is exceptional. Uh, you're oh, going to you. school in the United States. What is, what are the first two decades of your life looked like in so many words? Yeah. Uh, Ooh, that's a, <laughs> <laughs> you're on the clock for as long as you want to talk. <laughs> All right. 90 seconds. Here we go. Um, yeah, born and raised in Afghanistan. Well, not raised in Afghanistan. Um, I was two when, um, the Taliban had moved in, um, and our family escaped, um, for our lives, basically, we went to Pakistan, and I was two years old, and I have four older brothers, and um, we started a new life as refugees in Pakistan. Um, and then, you know, we kind of went all over the region. Uh, we tried living in Iran because we were always in search of a better place to live. We moved back to Afghanistan very briefly. Um, but again, you know, the trouble with Taliban was just so huge. We just went back to Pakistan and um, I went to uh, high school in um, Pakistan that was supported by the Japanese. And um, in 2003, after the United States came to Afghanistan and, um, you know, removed the Taliban, although temporarily, um, we moved back to um, Afghanistan. And that's where my family has lived since then. And in 2010, I got a scholarship to come and study in Maine, um, vacation land. exchange program, vacation land to go from a Taliban torn country to vacation land. It's quite the journey, Stark. <laughs> uh, but I was there in January and there was no vacation. Sure. It's a little bit brisk <laughs> and white and cold and blizzardy. Yeah. Okay. So that must've been fascinating. Um, whereupon, I'm sorry. Who oh, did, in Maine? Yeah. Describe, yeah, what's Maine like? I mean, I'm yeah. not from a geography standpoint and the contrast there, but yeah. you know, yeah, that segues oh, to Maine was kind of crazy. I mean, you know, if you grow up, Outside of the United States, you only know New York City, Chicago, Miami, Los Angeles. Uh, yeah. And, you know, Denver, you're not, maybe not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but even though I love Denver, you know, after living here in the U.S. Um, so, yeah, you know, just uh, Maine was kind of a shocker, but it was a good one. I lived in south central Maine uh, in a small town called Wilton by a lake 
which was which by the time I arrived in January was frozen and uh it was cool to see people driving their trucks oh, over sick. a frozen lake and I was like are you people nuts like you know yeah. I could not understand that at all and um is it literally called Wilton by the lake or it happened to be by a lake uh by a lake yeah that's where we live okay um terrific and uh yeah, it was my first time going to an American public high school. Everything was just super new. Um, it was a, a lot of culture shock. And um, that's where I played tennis for the first time ever. And, you know, took some classes that I had never had the opportunity to take before. And so it was a very, you know, eye-opening experience mm-hmm. for uh, somebody from Afghanistan to... Absolutely. To and now we're going to start playing the the time lapse jumping all over the map because okay you pick up tennis i mean on a whim playing it as a transplant high schooler in maine and then you end up eventually going back to afghanistan and what teaching some tennis camps or unfortunately not teaching because you know i didn't have that time yeah but uh i built afghanistan's first high school tennis court that is exactly what I was alluding to. Yeah, <laughs> it can't be easy to, you know, drop in and be like, oh, all of a sudden I have 200 tennis rackets. So, yeah, I mean, you did some incredible yeah. work too. Yeah, that was fun. I mean, you know, I truly felt the um, the power of sports. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, I really enjoyed it. And the thing that hit me was, you know, um, I the life that I lived in Maine, I always saw it as a contrast to the life back in Afghanistan. Absolutely. So in a given day as a teenager back in Afghanistan, you go to school for three hours and then you have the rest of the day free. There's no after school activities, there's no sports opportunities. And a lot of the kids grow up, you know, spending their time on the streets, getting into bad, you know, bad habits. And um, it's also an avenue for people to get absorbed into extremism because there's a lot of, um, a lot of that pull as well. And I was thinking, you know, we just need to fill up a young Afghan man's life and Afghan woman. Um, you know, we just did the youth's life with uh, a lot of activities during their day. And that's that was the motivation behind the tennis court is to to give a little bit of extra thing. That's huge. Yeah, we in America certainly like to recreate and occupy our time with odd activities of all varieties. So... Okay, continuing playing the time jumping game. Uh, I mean, when you reached out to me, you were a student at Middlebury, which, uh, how do I explain? Middlebury has a great network of people, whether it's alums or current students or soon-to-be students. If if someone within that community says, hey, I went to Middlebury, I'm going to Middlebury, all of a sudden there's this just great uh, interest from other Middlebury folks to, to help each other out. Call it whatever you will, but when you reached out and said, I'm an Afghan Middlebury student trying to get into cycling, I was like, that's the coolest freaking thing I've ever heard. So at that point, you had just recently begun racing or just begun riding? Because that was two years ago. Just begun riding. Okay. Um, And you had seen the empowerment vehicle that cycling could be at that point. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it was less than a year into riding. Um, Growing up, I always wanted to bike, but... Uh Um, for some reason it never worked. My, you know, we always moved around. We never had the money, um, as refugee and, um, and my parents were always against it too. You know, they wanted us to go to school and focus on education, put your head down and just study, study, study until you become a doctor or something. And, um, so getting 
you know, riding a bicycle is a distraction. Sure. It is a time intensive activity. <laughs> I think we need to tell that to Dr. King, um, <laughs> but it might be too late now. Um, and, uh, yeah. And it wasn't until the end of my high school, um, which, you know, was in New Mexico. I, after living in Maine, I went to New Mexico to continue my education in the U S and, um, after graduation, I didn't go home that summer. This is before coming to Middlebury. And some people took me to watch a mountain bike race. And it was in Taos, uh, pretty mountainous. Uh -huh. And it was just amazing to see all these riders come down the mountain at speed. And I was just blown away. And um, I asked them if I could you know, ride one of their bikes mm -hmm. and they let me do it. And I went over the handlebars and I picked it up again and Perfect. Uh, went up and came down and I had the best time. Um, two thoughts came to my mind. First, I was having a blast and which meant I was hooked and I wanted to do it. But second, I was thinking of all the mountains back home and asking myself the question, if this is mountain biking, why don't we have it with yeah. all the mountains that we have? And that kind of became, um, a huge interest for me to follow in college. And by the time I'd reached out to you, um, it was a year after I'd got my hands on a bike and I was living that, I wouldn't even call it living that dream. I was just engaging with, and you know, that passion I'd just acquired. Mm -hmm. And I remember you reaching out and mentioning what you had just said, that the mountains in Afghanistan, I mean, you were, there's such a rich resource in Afghanistan that, that is, I guess, overseen or unused and, and you want to bring recreation. You want to bring a trail system. There's no such thing as a trail system in mm -hmm. Afghanistan. And you have these absolutely spectacular mountains. I think often the naive American thinks of Afghanistan as desert. Desert. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I, I had heard of stories of mountains in Afghanistan. And then soon after that email, I spent some time on Google and they're spectacular. They're yeah. enormous. They are. Thank you. Know, like right now we're in the majestic. Um, um, Green mountains. Green mountains. We're in the Northern Appalachians, which are spectacular in that they're incredibly old. So they're a little bit well-worn. They're weathered. <laughs> they, they look very well-worn. <laughs> if you go a little bit west, you go to the Rockies and the Rockies are quite a bit more spectacular. Now we're talking. Those are spectacular yeah. mountains. Those are big and craggy and they have the same characteristics as Afghan mountains, which are big and they are real mountains and they are a place that could have some amazing mountain biking. Yeah. So, okay, let's continue to fast forward Two large pursuits of yours that you, that you continue along now. And I want to hear, you know, the status of each one is advocacy in, in Afghanistan to bring the trails, to bring recreation to, I mean, basically literally introduce a sport to a country that doesn't have it mm -hmm. and a culture that doesn't have it. As well as racing, you have very high aspirations to race under the banner, the flag of Afghanistan. Yep. How, which one do you want to talk about? Lay it on me, bro. Like we are about to race in an hour and 15 <laughs> minutes, a weekly training race. I think, yeah, I mean, I would start with number one, the advocacy part, because even my racing is part of that, you know? Sure. Um, yeah, it helps tell a message. Exactly. Exactly. Um, with mountain bike, Afghanistan, which is um, a nonprofit in the making, uh, I hope to build trails to uh, provide resources at the hands of young Afghans who are interested in taking up the sport. And there are a lot of interested people. 
um, they're already doing it. Um, you know, it's throw it's, a quick plug in right now. What is your Instagram? Farid Nori and Mountain Bike Afghanistan. Spelled Mountain is it fully spelled bike out Afghanistan. Okay, I didn't know it was going to be. Yeah, I do follow it. I just forgot yeah. Mountain Bike Afghanistan on Instagram. Exactly. Definitely um, check it out. I saw a post of one of your members shredding. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> one of our one of the supporters okay. just uh, representing our um, spreading the word uh, in Italy. Perfect. But I, I hashtag Af- mountain bike MTB Afghanistan too. Follow along. It's going to be an awesome ride. Um, okay, I interrupted. Go on. You were you were saying bring bring the resources to Afghanistan. Bring the trail system. Exactly. Um, so there is a lot of interest. Um, you know, nowadays young people they have. Phone, smartphones and they have access to internet and they've been they know this thing that exists called cycling and mountain biking in particular and mm-hmm. uh, they've I've found them I've befriended them on social media and they do awesome things there's this guy who uh, built his own dirt jumps um, outside of Kabul city and he just you know he's a he works with the military he's a soldier but he just in his free time he just goes and rips around and uh, he's making a lot of progress I yeah. mean the jumps that he's hitting is crazy um, that takes guts. That is awesome. Yeah. And you know, that's the, that's the energy. And, and my hope, uh, what I bring to the table is as somebody who has been in the United States, who has seen the system and, Im- you know, immerse myself in it, it, you know, for example, tonight's Wednesday night race, like just by doing this race and coming here every week and talking to people, you learn a lot. And I hope to impart that knowledge and, uh, also resources to these people who are hungry for, you know, mountain biking and uh that's mountain bike afghanistan in a nutshell mm-hmm. and personally me as an athlete um you know i have i want to go to the olympics i want to race for afghanistan um beat in the olympics beat in all international races you know um because i want to walk this trail and learn a lot and impart the knowledge just the same way that I want to do with my organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Mountain Bike Afghanistan now has eight members back home uh, in central Afghanistan. And uh, we were just raised enough money so we could support their training from now on. Um, it's minimal, but we're starting small. Um, you know, the money so that they could feed themselves and guide riding. Um, no kidding. You're, you've literally started the federation. The Federation so has been there. Okay. We, uh, we, we like to work with the Federation and, um, and uh, offer our service. Um, you know, we want to build trails. And if the Federation, if that's something they want to do too, you know, there's a lot of room for cooperation and there's a lot of mismatch right now. You know, the Federation's very new and it has new leadership. Um, does, the fe- does the Federation encompass all aspects of cycling or is it purely mountain and a road? federation exists elsewhere uh it's all cycling it used to be just road uh until a couple of years ago and as the noise about mountain biking has been increasing they've been paying attention to this as well mm-hmm. uh but the road scene is also very underdeveloped and uh, you know there's not a lot of room for racing there hasn't been a lot of races and it's not organized yet but the new leadership seems to be um much more on it Perfect. And uh, Very they're helpful. working hard 
Um, well, the advent of all things cool in the gravel world, I can't imagine all the roads are silky smooth and freshly paved in <laughs> Afghanistan. So maybe fat tires on a road bike, the gravel bike scene, that's perfect to explore Afghanistan. Ted, you could go there right now uh-huh. and you could have the adventure of your life because A, there's not a lot of paved roads, like perfect. you said, and um, it's all gravel. Excellent. And you could organize the most awesome gravel race um, in central Afghanistan, which is also safe. Um, I'm sure you know about skiing, the Afghan ski challenge that draws a lot of foreigners every year. Remind me. And I knew that there was a ski tie in there from the beginning. Yeah. Um, so this, the ski story in Afghanistan is very inspiring and it's, um, you know, it's in, in a lot of ways, uh, you know, what we're trying to do with mountain bike Afghanistan is also very similar to what skiing has already done and uh started all started 80 years ago um bunch of locals were introduced to skiing by a uh swiss journalist and they uh they took it up and um in order to promote the sport in the area and they he organized the swiss journalist organized a race and because uh, you know nobody wanted to just ski sure um, the afghans love to race <laughs> excellent everybody likes speed <laughs> and so that's that's how it started and now the afghan ski challenge is in its eighth year wow. um there's no lift um a lot you know there's it's a mass start you just hike up a mountain some people you know backcountry ski and sick earn your turns yeah <laughs> earn your turns and is uh, there a, is you hike up to a glacier or you hike up to snow? Is there a ski resort town there? Uh, this uh, this town is covered in snow all six months of the winter and um, the slopes are perfect for skiing. And uh, so you basically hike on snow and, um, you know, it takes about an hour to go up and then three minutes down. And That's um, so rad. Yeah, and the whole thing counts. So every year the Afghans have been winning no matter how many professionals have gone down <laughs> because they're just acclimated to... Yeah. The, the elevation and they can climb well and what is the um, what is the altitude out there how big how high are these mountains we're talking uh the living altitude is ten thousand feet oh gosh and uh the highest one of the highest peaks in the area is seventeen thousand um scott yeah they're <laughs> they're big mountains what's but, the what is the mountain range uh it's called hindu kush oh right and uh it's a extension of the himalayas but in afghanistan we call them hindu kush okay yeah that's fascinating. Um, okay, so student at Middlebury, you you spent your last summer in the Northeast Kingdom, which is, for those not in the know, Northeast Kingdom is the northeast part of Vermont, which is a lush, green, uh, quiet part of the state that has some of the best mountain biking on planet Earth, to be I, quite frank. I confirm. <laughs> it is incredible. And not only that, but they have been... In recent years, the local area has realized that they are sitting on an amazing resource to really build out sort of a resort feel to this, Mm -hmm. um, to the trail system and not in a hoity-toity way. It's a very real, fun, uh, bro-y, I'm I'm not describing it well. It's, how would you describe it? You lived there. Right. Uh, well, first of all, Northeast Kingdom is very remote and, uh, you know, we like to say Vermont is all country, but 
North Northeast Kingdom is where it really gets country. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and well, so it so has that appeal to it. And um, but with all of you know, Kingdom Trails attracts a lot of riders that come from all over the place, uh, New England, Canada. Um, Yep. With that huge traffic, they still keep that low profile, and that's why it's very awesome. And the trails obviously are incredible. They're anything you know you would want from a trail. I forget the number. I'm going to pull this out of a hat. I think I heard just last week because we were riding there at the eponymous tour across New England. Um, I think I heard that 300,000 mountain bikers end up in the Northeast Kingdom. Yeah. Whereas you know you you know of Salida, you know of Fruta, you know of Moab, you know. Telluride, you know, Black Home Whistler, those are great mountain bike destinations. I think it's remoteness, great word, is is part of its charm in that you really, you got to earn getting out here. You're going to fly into Boston, you're going to put in a three-hour drive, and then you end up in a very quiet, bucolic, incredibly buffed-out, beautiful trail <laughs> system with downhills. You're going up Burke Mountain, you're ripping down Burke Mountain. You want to yeah. see climbs, descents, berms. I think people will often think of New England as ruddy, rudy, yeah. rude mountain biking, crude. Northeast Kingdom is not like that. Northeast Kingdom is soft and welcoming and freaking stunning. And not to mention the IPA beer scene is out of this world. <laughs> and for anybody who's over IPAs, come spend some time in New England and be like, oh, this is what an IPA should be. <laughs> okay. On the segment and segue to food, having just talked about IPA, You've also been a fan of Untapped because you've been embraced in the maple syrup culture. Untapped, of course, is a company that co-founded in 2014, bringing the new traditional benefits of maple syrup to the bicycle and to all activities. So our second product was the Stroop Waffle, sweetened purely with maple syrup and maple sugar. And, and then we came up with a couple other waffle flavors raspberry coffee. And you said, Ted, you got to make a chai. You got to make a chai tea. <laughs> We have a prototype chai tea untapped waffle. We actually have four of them. Um, I'm really excited to share them with you right now. So I'm tell so me excited. about as I crack you this actually open, made them. I didn't actually make them. These came from the factory. We literally gave them a chai mix. Uh huh. And you've you have invited me to your kitchen literally to say, hey, I want to show you my chai. It's good stuff. I think you're gonna like it. So this is a Vermont's rendition of chai. <laughs> I'm very excited to see your reaction. So tell me about your chai in the meantime, as I crack this open. Um, yeah, so I'm a huge advocate of chai. Um, it's what I grew up drinking every morning, um, for breakfast and just some hot naan spread with butter. And it, you know, when I came to the U S I didn't know people would know about it, but it seems like people are, Ooh, here's the chai untapped maple troop waffle oh, people. Gosh. I didn't. Um, um, I can already tell. So you didn't get, <laughs> you didn't have a Starbucks waffle to, I mean, <laughs> chai Starbucks chai to wake up instead of your butter naan and chai. And, um, for, for the record, don't go to star. Well, Starbucks is going to hate me for saying this, but their chai is not chai. <laughs> I mean, it's just pure sugar and black tea and milk. <laughs> <laughs> so, however, the only place I've had really good chai is uh, the Dushanbe Tea House in Boulder. Yes. Um, I got married right adjacent to that building. Did you have any chai? Negative. After, for, the, for the cake? No? We had a maple cake. That works. Okay. Now we got to add, you know. Add some chai tea flavoring. Okay. How is that, by the way? 
I, I have hardly taken a bite. I want to take the first bite at the same time. <laughs> All right. We each have a, ma- a chai untapped waffle prototype. Here goes. I'm so excited for this. Now, one oh thing to God. preface with is when you use only real ingredients instead of, quote, natural flavors, you have to use the real ginger, cinnamon, black pepper, cardamom, cardamom. anise. And so the flavor doesn't punch you with this fake faux natural flavor to begin with. But now that you've had 15 seconds of chew, what are you picking up on? It just feels like I'm having chai, a cup of chai with some waffle, maple waffle. It's amazing. Um, well done. Brilliant. This, this is incredible. Um, this is not a planted ad, I promise. <laughs> no, this truly is a prototype. We've been working on it for a while, and yeah. it was coincidental that you had said... Hey, yeah, no, I was be perfect. so excited when I saw your message yesterday that you guys had finally done it. Um, so this was back in January. I was in uh, California training, and um, I ran into Ted outside a grocery store in Marin, and... Um, I told him, Ted, you got to make chai um, stroopwafels. And you guys you guys actually did it. Um, I'm impressed. This is awesome. This is going to take the market by storm, I think. I don't disagree. So one of the reasons we have a coffee maple waffle using maple as a sweetener and real coffee as the flavor is that, you know, it's Saturday morning. You wake up, you have, a, you have your tasty waffle with maple syrup on it, you have a cup of coffee. And so those flavors go hand in hand. And what I've come to realize is not everybody is a huge coffee fan. Correct. Perfectly fine. That's great. So a lot of people like tea. Spices are universally, nearly universally welcomed. So why not mix some tasty chai with some savory, pungent, fun, tasty, piquant uh, spices and put them in waffle format. Exactly. Now, what you just alluded to is you were out in Marin, which is, you know, you, you've talked about Taos, New Mexico, you've talked about Boulder, you've talked about Maine, you've talked about Vermont, and then there we are in <laughs> Fairfax, California, which quite frankly is, uh, can be argued to be the birthplace of mountain biking. Yeah. You took a page out of my book to take a J-term away from uh, a cold, dank winter in Vermont. Uh, winter break only. Exactly. Yeah. What'd you do? Well, so, you know, as you know, Vermont winters are very long. Um, they can be as, you know, six months long. Um, and I didn't know that. We just moved <laughs> back to Vermont. All I picture is 75 and sunny year round. <laughs> I think I'm in for a surprise. There was, in my four years living in Vermont, there was one winter like that. It wasn't 74, 75, but there was not a lot of snow. Okay. And that was the first year I got into mountain biking. It was nature's perfect welcome. Yeah. Um, I actually, we want the real renters. We digress. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, so I don't that? cross country ski mm-hmm. and, uh, I was thinking, how do I want to spend my winter break? Um, you know, I could spend that money on getting skis and, um, you know, pay somebody to teach me or just get out there. And it just, you know, I just wanted to get some, some out somewhere warm and Fairfax, um, came into my mind and I flew in there and, the next day I saw you on a morning ride. <laughs> that was hilarious. Yeah. Cause you had, you'd reached out to say that you were thinking of coming to California at that point. You were probably confirmed to be coming, but I, I juggle 75 different 
emails at a time. And so I'm like, okay, yeah, Fareed might be coming out shortly. And then the next day I see you on the group ride. Yeah. And yeah, welcome to California. Do the Wednesday Worlds. That's a good kick to the teeth. Exactly. And now we're doing Wednesday Catamount here. So. Uh-huh. It comes full circle. And so <laughs> that exact ride, the Wednesday morning ride from Fairfax, Java Hut, is something that you've tried to, re- to reinstall here uh, at Middlebury. Yeah. Um, it was, you know, I, I had a lot of fun, um, in California and especially on the Wednesday morning rides. The first ride was challenging as many of you listeners who are probably living in California and you are aware of the Wednesday morning grocery ride. It's a high speed ride that, you know, I've, I've not spent, I've barely spent a year on the road bike and, um, I showed up very ambitious thinking it would be just like any other, you know, group ride. And, um, it was difficult and I couldn't finish it. And, um, Ted pulled me into a second one a couple of weeks later and he was like, you're going to do it. Ambivalently. <laughs> I could tell you weren't ecstatic about doing it, but I said, you know, we got a trial by fire. Yeah. That means trial by fire again. <laughs> and I'm so glad you, you know, pulled me into it. And, um, I think I, I didn't finish it a second time either, but I was there 95% of the ride. And then, you know, just my legs just give out. And, uh, uh, I learned that, you know, that was an incredible experience in terms of, um, growing as a cyclist and in Vermont in, you know, where I go to Middlebury, um, there's, you know, you can hardly put together a five to 10 group of people, uh, for a group ride. Um, you know, that's different across, you know, in Burlington, it's much bigger scene, but we're sure. a small town in, in Vermont, and I was like, well, I kind of want to replicate that kind of um, uh, intensity. And I started the ride, and now it's up and running every Wednesday. However, I'm not doing it over the summers because I'm doing the Wednesday night races here in Catamount. Is it, when you do the, the Middlebury ones, is it entirely students, or have you gotten some good town folk to come out? Um, in the beginning, it was a mix. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, since you know, school is no longer in session. It's the summer. It's just townspeople. But yeah, it's been a mix awesome. of uh, the shop and townspeople and students and yeah. Well, shoot, that is a testament to what it takes to start something like mountain bike Afghanistan. I mean, you need to draw together the the like minded desire to be on a bike with a group of people because of the shared love of riding a bike. So, heck, I mean, it could have been just as easy to come home and say. School's hard. Finals are coming up. I'd much rather do my intervals alone. But like you've had the gumption to bring together to put this thing out there and say, yeah. hey, we got a Wednesday ride. We got we got to start doing this. Let's do it, people. Yeah. And, you know, everywhere, I think I think that's a very important point as somebody who's late in the sport. Um, and How somebody 23, soon turning 24, uh, got into cycling when I was 20. Mm-hmm. Um, Same here. 21, actually. <laughs> I was 19 turning 20, but yeah, I was later 20, starts are 20, perfectly 21. fine. Cool. Um, you got nothing but potential, man. That is something to look forward to. And yeah. so as somebody, you know, not having grown up here and not being in the cycling culture um, throughout my life, every day is a learning opportunity. And uh, ev- anywhere I go, you know, I'm, I'm not only there to race for results, but, you know, my ears and eyes are open to what people are doing, how people are riding, and... Um, just so that I want to, you know, copy that for myself or uh, eventually, like you said, um, 
impart that knowledge and skills back in Afghanistan. Um, so I cannot wait to go home um, eventually. And, um, you know, I my organization has Ed members right now who are riding. And I think the most exciting part of my cycling is yet to come is to go home and ride with those guys. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so cool. Well, yeah. I mean, it's been two years. When was the last time you were back? Three years. Three years since being in Afghanistan. Has it been three years since you've seen your family? Exactly. Your brothers are local. Yeah. <laughs> Random. Brothers become a Vermonter here with his uh, wife. Per your recommendation. <laughs> Come to Vermont. Vermont is awesome. They're uh, they're totally embracing it. I mean, heck, if people from Afghanistan could love Vermont, then who couldn't? <laughs> this place is special. Laura and I are loving it. We've been here for... 48 I think, hours. I think actually 72 hours. <laughs> um, no, it's been very heartwarming to see her reception so far. Uh, admittedly, the weather is perfect right now. Um, the riding is excellent. The community has been outstanding, but I mean, I think that's the pace of life already is noticeable. Yeah. Um, it just, it's one gear back. It's, it's much <laughs> more communal and familial and we're just, we're having a great Have time. Have you guys gone to Cabot yet? We've driven by Cabot. We definitely want more cheese in our life. We've purchased <laughs> Cabot. It was one of the first evening we were here, nice. we bought some cheese, um, between a gallon of maple syrup and cheese and a couple IPAs. I don't think we need much more. Correct. It's the simple things. It's not the IPAs for me because I'm from Afghanistan, but very maple and Cabot. Very good. Also, <laughs> also good things. Yeah. Um, what else? Um, nothing other than, you know, if, um, if you're excited by this talk, if you have anything to offer to the organization, uh, to myself, um, ideas, opportunities. Um, if you want to help out our organization, uh, you can go on to www.mtbafghanistan.com. Repeat www.mtbafghanistan.com. And uh, you can make a donation there. Uh, you can sign up for our newsletter, which is, um, I'm at hard work to make that happen over the summer. Uh, for some exciting stories like what we've been talking about today uh, that you will never hear on the news and uh, you'll get to receive it firsthand from uh, yours truly and uh, a few other people who are helping me out. Ain't that the truth? The news is full of so much crap and negativity and they're basically just reporting all the bad stuff and they don't report this. They don't report the stories of Fareed. Um, I mean, quite frankly, from the moment I met you in person, if I were to describe you to somebody else, I would call you perpetually smiling. <laughs> you are always laughing. You are smiling. You are happy. You are excited. You are eager. Uh, <laughs> we sucked you into the Tour X New England <laughs> where you did your first ever week-long 500-mile bike ride. Why yeah. the heck not? Sure. That sounds like fun. That was extremely fun. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll suck you right in, that whole group of cyclists. Well... Yeah, I couldn't echo that anymore. That was a great plug. Well done. Uh, you're good at this. So, Fareed, you got you got nothing but success ahead of you. Um, Thank you. Congratulations on what you've done so far. Uh, another quick final aside. I remember 
visiting this April when Laura and I were back in Vermont and I went down to Middlebury and I, I was catching up with you and I, on the drive up from Boston here, I was thinking, man, I want to like, I want to help you. How can I help you? Can I put this, can I create a crowdfunding campaign and, you know, figure out a way to get free and some more support? And you're like, uh, that's a great idea. I'm juggling these 17 other different projects. And <laughs> oh, by the way, I've already, I have the support of Midstart, a Middlebury crowdfunding campaign and yeah and crap you smashed through your goal for that allowing <laughs> you to get a brand new cannondale bicycle exactly i mean holy cow your your go get him attitude is inspiring and that's why i want to sit down with you and that is why i appreciate you taking the time thank you free yeah. glory much appreciated man yeah march we on <laughs> we march on perfect <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Ted says my English is good, but, you know, I make mistakes like that, and um, Your English learn. is exceptional. <laughs> Trust me. All right. Awesome. Let's go race bikes, eh? Let's do it. All right. Thanks, man. Bye.